So next up, we're going to be diving into federal digital transformation and what's next on the horizon. Please welcome Lauren Hayes, Senior Advisor for Technology and Innovation at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Chris Brazier, Acting Deputy IT Director at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Sean Brune, Chief Information Officer and Deputy Commissioner for Systems at the Social Security Administration. Kevin Corcoran, Principal at Deloitte. And Dan Wallace, Area Vice President of the Federal Civilian Business at ServiceNow. Great. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Fed Forum. Excited to see so many people here today. Before we jump into the questions, I'd like to ask each of the panelists to introduce themselves. Lauren, let's start with you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's wonderful to see everyone. My name is Lauren Bose Hayes, and I'm with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA as we call it. Prior to joining uh, the federal government, I led cybersecurity for the Biden-Harris transition team, which was a fantastic opportunity to get to learn about all of the incoming uh, administration appointees and nominees. And then prior to that, I was in the private sector where I focused on counter disinformation and counter espionage. Excited to be here with everyone today. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Sean Brune, I'm the CIO at the Social Security Administration. In that role, I've served there for the last three years as CIO, but majority of my career at Social Security has been in field operations. I see my function as trying to build synergy across the C-suite so that we can actually accelerate our transformation of service. Hey, good morning, everybody. Chris Brazier. I'm the Acting Deputy IT Director for Defense Threat Reduction Agency, also known as DITRA. And I promise I'm not trying to do job. You know, I got the most <laughs> jobs in the house. I'm also the Chief Technology Officer, and I'm also the uh, Mission IT Infrastructure and Services Department Chief. So it gives me a great opportunity to take a look at, across the agency from an operational perspective. So happy to be here this morning with you. Thank you. Great. Hi, good morning. My name is Gary Novotny. I'm at the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, helping to implement ServiceNow uh, there. Before that, I was at the ODNI, Office of Director of National Intelligence, where I was doing uh, something very similar there. Must have done something right or something wrong. I don't know. So I came over to CIA then. And uh, so I uh, got to see two different agencies uh, implementing uh, this, this platform. Good morning, everyone. Kevin Corcoran, Principal for Deloitte. Uh, Lead Alliance Partner for the Americas. So I'm responsible for both our commercial and public sector work across the Western Hemisphere. Great. Thank you all for uh, joining us this morning. So open up with a question for everyone. Under the 2021 Presidential Management Agenda, the Biden administration backed federal digital acceleration and improved citizen services with a focus on both customer experience and service delivery. How far along are federal agencies in implementing these specific requirements? Yeah, happy to start us off. So I can speak for how we're thinking about this at CISA. So if you are not familiar with CISA, that would be reasonable because we are the youngest agency in government. Uh, we were just created about four years ago. We celebrated our fourth birthday in November. And so one of the benefits that we have at CISA as a very young agency is we don't, haven't inherited quite the same level of tech debt that some other agencies have experienced. And so that's a tremendous benefit to us as we get to operate in a slightly different way. We also know that our mission, being the nation's cyber defense agency, requires us to take an incredibly technology-centric approach as an agency. And so when we think about some of the areas in which service delivery, service delivery and really putting customer voice at the center and holding government accountable 
to doing that well are critical to our mission. I think about an area I focus on a lot in my day-to-day -day job, which is cyber incident reporting. Um, we know that understanding the cyber threat landscape is critical to our understanding of national security. But to do that, it means that we need presently to get voluntary incident reporting to our agency, and then in the future, under the new cyber, uh, uh, the CERCIA bill, the incident reporting bill, uh, we will have some element of regulatorily required reporting to CISA. So we know that to do that well, we need to make it easy for individuals and organizations to report incidents to us. And we need to do that in keeping in mind that individuals and organizations who are reporting to us are operating under duress because they've just experienced a major cyber incident. And so that's one of the areas where we're thinking a lot about how we make engagement with CISA easy from a technology perspective, from a process perspective. And then we've got to make sure that we use those cyber incident reports to also inform the nation and make sure that we're making better national security decisions. Appreciate that. I would just add that at Social Security, we're a high-touch public agency. Uh, nearly everybody in the country is going to interact with Social Security at some point, uh, whether to get a Social Security number card, uh, report wages, file for uh, benefits, or, or receive benefits. Uh, and as such, you know, I would say we've always been customer experience focused, but the recent executive order and the other administration guidance, uh, Lauren mentioned uh, security, uh, there's been an executive order on that as well. Uh, diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. Those are part of things that we're doing at Social Security uh, to make our programs meet, uh, better meet the needs of the public we serve. Uh, some of the specific things we're doing is focusing on our journey mapping to make sure that we're touching, uh, seeing where the customer pain points are and addressing them. And then, uh, as was heard on the last panel, similar to VA, we have an always-on survey uh, to hear the voice of the customer and actually take action based on their comments. Yeah, so Defense Threat Reduction Agency is a little bit different, right? So we, we're not public facing. So our customers are really, at least in my customers in my perspective, is the entire agency and then all the combatant commands that we actually service and help out with counter weapons of mass destruction and nuclear proliferation, really I can say it. Um, and it's, it's different. So our thing is really how do we help them transform to getting information and data that's going to be helpful to them? How do we increase that exchange of data and information between either combatant commands, our 5i partners, or within our own directorates within our own agency today. So that's primarily our big focus on doing that kind of transformation within our agency. Yeah, very similar. Our customers are internal. Uh, you know, that's where our citizens are, are internal. So uh, we have a little bit of tech deck. I'm very jealous that you don't have a lot of tech deck. <laughs> uh, you know, we're a little bit older agency. So, um, but we, we've been on this journey a, a lot, you know, sooner than you know the the 21 memorandum so we've been um, much like sue gordon said i mean we were out in front of this digitizing things um sure. you know prior to this so it's just trying to take a look at that technical debt and, and cleaning that up i think gary's being very humble i you know his organization is really on the vanguard of digital transformation and i think there's a lot of lessons learned there uh, but in contrast i think there it's a tale of two cities you have some organizations that you know still have not adopted the transformation agenda uh, but I think all the leaders on this panel are really, you know, in the vanguard of really driving digital transformation, accelerating, you know, speed, scale, and insight. And, and I think that's that's really remarkable, considering you know the the resource constraints they may have, uh, some of the uh, you know authoritative uh, constraints that they have, regulatory constraints that they have, and they've done an absolute wonderful job navigating through that to drive results. 
That's a good point, Kevin. And I wonder, from your perspective, you know, as a system integrator that goes out to support the federal agencies, how do you look at some of these presidential management agenda topics that come out, specific to this one, maybe? So we view it as table stakes. It's, it's a requirement for each of our customers that we partner with. Uh, we, we, we drive towards meeting the agenda requirements, but then we also challenge where we can because, you know, as Sue mentioned, you know, we have to, we have to challenge norms. We have, to, we have to drive transformation, and with that is going to come some challenges. And mm -hmm. we, we have to have the fortitude and the partnership to really drive that transformation and change. Great. Um, let's continue on the digital acceleration journey. And John, I'll ask you a question, and, and we'll talk about no-code, low-code. It's, it's a topic, and I think you may be able to help us understand the differences, the benefits of the no-code, low-code applications, development tools that are out there, and the platforms. How does SSA look at that? Sure. Well, I'm sure many are in, the, uh, in the audience are familiar with the use of uh, such platforms. Uh, and it really uh, is uh, a possibility for the platform uh, to reduce the amount of application programming. Instead of relying on uh, complex programming languages, uh, both low-code and no-code platforms uh, offer visual interfaces, allow uh, drag-and-drop uh, capability building, and then link those capabilities together. You have applications that can be deployed to meet customer needs. Uh, from the Social Security point of view, uh, we look at this as uh, providing a couple opportunities, but also some uh, challenges that have to be balanced. Uh, some of the opportunities include, uh, perhaps, we have a lot of code in production already, uh, perhaps reducing the amount of code we have to maintain by relying on maintenance and upgrade of the platform. Uh, perhaps uh, low-code, no-code can help us get to uh, enablement with proper training and, and looking at good use cases enablement of business developers who are closer to the problems that are you know, causing our, our customers pain and that those folks who are actually doing the interface with the customer day to day, interviewing the public in our case, uh, they might have more uh, insight into how to streamline the workflow. And if we give them tools to automate that streamlined workflow, could be a, a big uh, advantage for both our customer and our agency. Uh, one other advantage I would mention uh, is that uh, by enabling the citizen developer, as I just described, uh, we can then focus our software engineers on uh, other, maybe more complex or, or uh, different challenges than the customer interface uh, automated workflow. Um, some of the uh, things we try to balance, uh, it's really important from our perspective to have good governance in place. Uh, so that as we deploy these tools, we're doing them uh, uh, with creativity and innovation, but also uh, in a standards-based uh, methodology, uh, particularly when it comes to prioritization. What use cases get uh, attention first and then uh, latter. Uh, so we focused our uh, uh, initial uh, work on uh, low-code, no-code, really in building the, uh, the guidance and governance to, to really use the platforms wisely. You hit on something in governance. I spend a lot of time talking with CIOs. And when you talk about no-code, low-code uh, development tools and platforms, they talk about the idea of creating shadow IT, that these applications are going to create sprawl on the back end of the organization. How do you work through some of those concerns that SSA might have as you give the ability for other folks within the organization to develop applications? Sure. Uh, one of our primary strategies at Social Security is focus on the IT part first. 
There's plenty of uh, IT uh, administrative functions, IT operations, management, et cetera, uh, that we can improve uh, using automated processes. Uh, that gives us an advantage of uh, learning uh, the platforms well and deeply uh, you know, before it, it broadens across the enterprise. Uh, it also gives us the advantage of uh, uh, buying some time to work with our business colleagues uh, to uh, socialize and train uh, how the platforms may be used. And then, finally, they can see the platform in use before they try to make advantage of it. I appreciate that. You know, one of the things I'm happy that he said was, you know, configuration management, which is governance, right? You said governance. So configuration management, so if I look at what we're doing, like infrastructure as a service, so, or infrastructure as code, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're sending that out, and it's great because now you have a predictable set that's going out there, building your servers and services that we don't have to worry about that, and you can focus those teams on more important tier three, tier four type problems. So yeah, I agree with you, I'm with you on that. Any other thoughts from the panel before we jump into the next question? Just the, oh, I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> no, I think it's spot on. I, you know, when we think about you know, configuration management, it's absolutely critical that you, you, you have a solid foundation, as Gary and others know. If, if, you, if you do not establish that, that, that CMDB, you do not rationalize your environment, you do not have the right governance in place, you are going to start experience that technical sprawl. But I think all of these organizations that you represent really have wrestled the governance to the ground and, 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 and driven a clear, consistent vision in your organizations, and that's, that's one of the keystones to success. Great. Thanks, Kevin. Chris, I'll bring it back to you. How vital is digital transformation to deter WMD and other tax? And what are some of the next generation measures that you're taking in the digital arena? So it's huge for us, right? So right now, we're kind of on the forefront of what's going on in Europe. But you know, for us, digital transformation is, I'd say it's a holistic change across the board. Um, right now, everything is data, 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 data. So, you know, it's like, what does that data look like? How are we going to ingest that data? How are we going to transform that data? How are we going to make sure that data, the provenance of the data is true and correct? Mm -hmm. So that way we're giving all of our combatant commands and our customers the right information at the right time across the board. So it's also, you know, BI dashboards and everything else that we're looking at as well. So uh, for us, it's, it's huge. And I think, you know, as we kind of explore AI MLDS, right, how can we help transform this agency from internal and align with our director's planning guidance, which is really, she wants to share the data with all of our partners and our combatant commands and our 5 by partners. It's how do we help her get to that arena? And it's really one, understanding our data, understanding what the data means, understanding you know, the taxonomy of that data, and then coming up with a higher level of like what makes sense to us as an agency, and then what also makes sense for us to send out to our customers and what makes sense with them. We have a lot of engagements with all of the uh, 11 or 12 command commands mm -hmm. and uh, our 5i partners to ensure that we're, we're going down that right path. Um, there is, you know, also internally, right, we're trying to break down those silos of excellence. Um, you know, there's multiple people doing multiple different projects. So how do we pick best of breed to put that out there for everybody? And I think we're making great strides in that to ensure that we are picking the best so that way our, our digital transformation is just not a, another silo of excellence. Right. It's actually that is cross-cutting across our agency. Cool. Anybody want to pick off, piggyback off of uh, Chris's feedback on that question? Gary, see so you ready I just to think go. Breaking, breaking down those silos. I mean, yeah. the silos of excellence. I mean, we all see it. And you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you have a large organization to, sure. to try to break those down. And, uh, but I think we need to be on, on, on the leading edge of, of breaking those down using platforms like this. 
And I think you know one of the things that is hugely important when you're doing any kind of transformation is everybody kind of focuses on the tech. I'm going to focus more on leadership. Leadership meaning that as a leader, I need to give my teams permission to fail. Uh, and I was just, um, I'm part of the, the federal CIO innovation committee. And one of the things that I had heard from Claire, the, the federal CIO, which was, you know, a no blame post-mortem. So if you fail, right, it's done. Let's just talk about wh what failed and how we're going to correct it to go forward. But those failures are the only way that we're actually going to learn to know what not to do in the future. So I think that's hugely important as well as a leader to allow our teams to fail and allow our teams to succeed and ensure that we give them the appropriate backing as a leader. And you bring up a really important point about enabling mission critical outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not just about the, the architecture and the technology, it's really driving your outcomes. That's why this is such a good partnership and fit. Touched on data sharing and I and the enormous challenge of managing all of the data that we have today in our modern environments. And at CISA, we work with all of the federal CISOs and CIOs who are responsible for their agency's cybersecurity. But then we also have a challenge of needing to try to bring some of that data together to understand threats that are happening to each agency, but also across the federal civilian executive branch. And some of the things that we really think of as going sort of forward leaning in this space is thinking about how do we actually provide the services that other agencies need, especially smaller agencies who may not have the same uh, depth of security staff or IT support. How do we CISA actually take some of that burden off of those agencies to provide those services directly so that it's not just data sharing, it's a mutual accountability for uh, that data and for the security of those systems. And I, I would just add that uh, whether we're talking about protecting the country from external threat or uh, gathering intelligence or protecting our cyber assets, or in our case, serving the public, uh, data is, I think you heard from all of us, the, the lifeblood or, or the fuel that, that keeps that transformation uh, going. Uh, good data governance, uh, clear data uh, access, uh, uh, the uh, importance of the data infrastructure can't be oversold in my estimation. Great, appreciate that. Lauren, um, CISA, digital transformation is at the forefront of what you're doing to safeguard uh, the American public, our infrastructure, our institutes. Um, you recently announced, your organization recently announced a support services contract, five years, $200 million. Uh, what are some of the other measures that you're taking today um, or along this digital transformation journey? Absolutely. So one of the topics that the entire cybersecurity community is focused on, and certainly that's a top priority for CISA, that requires enormous transformation of how we think about security, is zero trust. Mm -hmm. So historically, with traditional networks, we had this trust but verify model, where a user was inside the network and you were a trusted entity. One of the challenges, enormous challenges here, is that it really put a lot of the onus on the end user. And candidly, when things went wrong, this could lead to situations where actually the end user was blamed for actions that were taken when we think about a lot of the guidance around what happens when you click on a phishing link or what happens if your credentials should be uh, exposed and, and no longer in your control. And so this focus on moving towards zero trust is really an enormous transformation for organizations to undertake. 
but it's also an enormous transformation of how we think about the responsibility for security of an organization. And so shifting that from the trust but verify approach to instead thinking about continuous authentication, really making sure that we have segmentation inside organizations that can really contain the impacts of an incident when they occur, and really shifting that and transforming both our technical uh, implementations, but also how we think about the responsibility of security and where we think about the end user's role in that. Great. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, within DOD, right, it's not just zero trust, it's, it's lining up all of those different ideas and architecture. So it's not only zero trust, it's joint all domain control to JADC2, right? So we have that, we have our software factories as well. So it's lining up all that so that way we ensure that we are, you know, in alignment with zero trust and we're providing you know, great value to the JADC2 concept from an enterprise architecture standpoint. And then again, giving our, our citizens, which is for us, right, those in uniform and DOD civilians, exactly what they need at the right time and securely. And ServiceNow is really great in helping you with the provenance of your data within your enterprise. So that coupled with governance and zero trust is a real winning combination. That's a great point. Gavin, I'm gonna stick with you. Let's jump into the employee experience. Uh, how can the employee experience empower the government workforce as part of the federal digital transformation agenda? What impact might it have on attracting talent in a competitive labor market? Sure. I mean, if we look at you know, the digital native economy now, the expectations for the consumer-grade experience at the enterprise is absolutely critical. Everyone here knows they have challenges hiring you know, into the workforce, so we got to take public service and service now and give them a rich user experience. It's like Bill said, we gotta make work easier. We gotta give them rich digital experiences so then they can serve their constituents, their citizen, you know, you know, the citizen provider, the citizen developer component as well. It has to be an engaging, impactful experience for the user, for the provider. If we don't do that, we lose in the attention economy. If we're losing in the attention economy, you're gonna get that drift away from your mission impact. Everyone in this panel is tasked with accomplishing critical mission activities. Everyone is committed to the mission. We have to help them accomplish that mission in the most seamless way and, and really drive impact within their organizations. Because if there's too much friction, we know it's, 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 gonna, it's gonna be too hard, it's gonna impact adoption, it's gonna slow down transformation, and it's gonna slow down scaling in your organization. So those rich, seamless experiences are absolutely critical to success, which then in turn talks to the last point around retention. If, if, you're, if you're fulfilled in your mission impact and how you're delivering services, you're gonna have a higher level of job satisfaction and that's gonna positively impact retention. Uh, I would add, we have this enormous labor need in the cybersecurity community, right? Every organization is experiencing this to include CISA and the entire federal government. And so when we think about also this um, unfortunate experience that many tech workers are, are having as the recent layoffs have occurred, we at CIS are trying to think, how do we make government the right and most desirable place for those employees to want to go next with their career? We know that there are an enormous number of people right now with skills that are valuable and could contribute to defending our nation. How do we make it such that the federal government is an attractive place for those people to come and support our cybersecurity mission? And that comes down to a lot of what you were just speaking about. Not only having good employee experience, but really having those modern tools, access to data, and flexible environments so that people who are self-starters and have tremendously valuable skills view the government as a place where those skills can thrive and really be put to best effect. 
Yeah, I was going to add to that. You know, I think, the, you know, if I'll do like the old uh, college thing or, or basic training thing, look to your left, look to your right. We're in competition with each other across the board for the exact same talent pool, right? So, I mean, I've been ghosted, you know, a multitude of times on hiring where somebody gets hired and they take the last final offer letter. Like, yeah, I found something a little bit better. I think the key thing, again, is I'll go back to leadership and it's up to us as leaders and supervisors to ensure that we're providing that experience and understanding that each employee is unique and different and that we need to provide, you know, that unique and different experience for each of those employees and it could be telework, right? Everybody's like, oh, I can telework 100% of the time. And I'm like, yeah, I can't because we work across multiple different enclaves. So it's impossible. But how do we get to that point of them saying yes? Instead of the old way of you know, supervision and management, which was just do it my way, and that's the way it's going to be done because that's the way we've always done it, we need to change our mantra. Again, it, to me, it's up to the leadership to change that experience uh, within that organization and within their specific work unit. Good leadership, focus on mission, customer satisfaction, right? I mean, yeah. And you get to customer satisfaction through employee experience. Yep. Yep. No yep. doubt. No, I agree with you. Uh, Gary, we're going to close it out with you. And we're going to talk about a topic. I don't think you can pick up a technical article today without hearing about hyper-automation. Um, it's vital to the next phase of digital transformation. And it's the idea of automating as many IT and business processes as possible. Why is hyper-automation increasingly a strategic imperative for organizations and where does the federal government stand in an effort to incorporate hyper automation into its innovation agenda? At the agency, it, it's all about getting the officer back to mission. So, and, and I, I'm sure you can all agree at Social Security Administration, at DITRA, it's about getting the officer back to mission. And what, what that means is you don't want the officer searching around for answers to commonly asked questions. You don't want an officer looking for, you know, where's that portal? How do I request this widget or this service? And, you know, it's, it's you know, it, it also not being on, on the telephone with the tier one help desk on hold, you know, only to be transferred somewhere else to try to get an answer to your question. So hyper-automation is automating a lot of these processes, whether it's using a knowledge base, whether it's using an AI ML, it's, it's automating those processes to get the officer back to mission. And, and the second thing is, is we've all seen there, there's budget cuts. We've been talking about resource issues. And uh, again, when you automate processes and get the officer to the mission, whether it's a support mission or actually on the front lines, automating these processes helps the customer experience, gets that person back to mission. So a couple of examples at the agency of where we've been using hyper-automation is our human resources department. So they were a, uh, one of the, the trailblazers with ServiceNow at the agency. They were um, an early adopter, and they set out a strategic roadmap of about 90, whether they were manual processes or uh, processes that were done with legacy IT, and, and created a strategic roadmap. And over the years, they have automated or hyper-automated uh, about 40 to 50 of those processes using ServiceNow. So what may have taken a few days or even a week of manual processes and emails and telephone calls is down to just a few clicks of the button, Re realistically a few clicks of the button. And, uh, and, and hyper-automation is here to stay. And you know, when you <laughs> keep saying hyper-automation, it's like a drinking game every time you say it, you take a drink. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, with, with artificial intelligence, machine learning, I've, hear, I've heard my seniors say it, that, you know, you, you shouldn't be afraid of machine learning taking, taking your job. You know, whether it may take a task or something that you were doing, I've heard it a million times, there are plenty of jobs and plenty of, of tasks and initiatives to go around. 
as long as the officer is willing to broaden their base and do something different. We shouldn't be afraid of automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning because um, what you know, you could just broaden your base, do something. There's plenty of work to go around. I've heard that many times because it's here to stay. It's going to continue to increase across the government. And I, I think, though, in general, it, 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 helps, it helps that end user. As you were going through your technical journey and identifying those 90 different tasks that could be automated, how did you prioritize and which ones did you, did you focus on first? Uh, I, I think we, uh, Sue Gorn talked about quick wins before. So you want, you want some quick wins up front, right? You get that buy-in. Um, because people are, are resistant to change, you know, so you get those quick wins, you automate things, you get that satisfaction, you know, and, and it's just like a snowball. And then, um, you know, you, you maybe take on some hard ones, those critical ones that you know are going to make a huge impact, but maybe a little harder. And just really think about it strategically. You don't want to jump in too fast. You want to really take a look and make sure you have that O&M tail as well, because, uh, you know, th these have a tail on it. Uh, so uh, quick wins take you know, some high impact and just continue that journey. I appreciate that. I'm just, I'm just shocked at the resistance to the change. You know, my 20 <laughs> years of government, like, yeah, I've never seen that before. <laughs> Great. I, I would just add on hyper-automation, uh, like uh, Gary mentioned at, at the agency, Social Security has uh, accumulated uh, missions over time, uh, and that has added technical debt and added legacy IT that has to be uh, cared and, and maintained and secured. Uh, and uh, Hyper-automation sometimes gives the opportunity to connect some of those uh, value points in new ways that provide the better customer experience uh, and um, allows us to execute core mission responsibility uh, better than in the past. Uh, it's building upon what I mentioned earlier, you've got to have good governance and good data in the, in the uh, pipeline, but uh, if you can connect those value points, maybe you can change the customer experience for the better. Appreciate that. Any other thoughts before we close out? I was just going to say, in a resource-constrained, employee-constrained environment, AI, ML-driven workflows levers up those key employees, those, those key team members, those key case officers. So the, the, the greater efficiency you can drive through those, those automations will, will have tremendous dividends in your organization. That's a great point. Folks, back on the mission. So appreciate that. Um, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I want to thank everybody that's out in the audience today for attending this, this event. Hopefully uh, you enjoy the rest of the day and uh, appreciate it. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much.